Welcome to Health System CIO's Partner Perspective Interview Series. I'm Anthony Guerra, Editor-in-Chief. With Amazon and Facebook having created a new level of consumer expectation, healthcare CIOs find themselves under the gun to rise to the occasion. Of course, that's easier said than done. According to WellFrame VP of Engineering and Data Science, Mohamed Juni, that's because getting there requires a whole new approach. First, CIOs need a shift in the way they think about their data ecosystems. Then they must do the hard data governance work to ensure the information their organization relies on has meaning. And finally, with the growing need to integrate with external data sources, they must reconsider their whole approach to interoperability. In the following interview, Juni offers advice on how to create an experience your patients will compare favorably against the best they've had. Hey, Mohammed, thanks for joining me today. I'm looking forward to having a chat with you about uh, your work and patient engagement, what you're seeing in the market, and all those kind of fun things. So thanks for joining me. Uh, awesome, awesome to be here, Anthony, and thank you so much for having me. Very good. You want to start off by telling me a little bit about your organization and your role over there? Of course. So uh, I'm the head of engineering and data science at WellFrame. Uh, at WellFrame, we basically build a digital engagement platform that helps clinical teams interact with patients uh, using a mobile application. Uh, the idea, the intent here is to provide clinicians with a way to interact with patients outside of the four walls of uh, intervention that they typically have and have a bigger impact on patients. Okay, very good. Tell me about some of the major trends um, that you are seeing in the marketplace. So we're seeing two big trends and shifts in the marketplace. The first one is we're seeing that the cost of care is increasing, which means patients are now paying more and more out-of-pocket for their care. Two, big consumer companies, now they've been very methodically focusing on engagement and customer experience, and that has become the norm for consumers. Uh, these two shifts are actually causing patients to now demand a better digital experience from their care providers. Uh, they're expecting comparable experience that to, to what now they're used to uh, by interacting with these big tech companies. All right, very good. Um, so there's lots of industries uh, where they're giving consumers uh, better engagement, better tools, better service, uh, health, and now they're expecting it, as you mentioned, from the health systems they engage with. Do you think that is it is it the nature of healthcare that makes this? Is it more challenging, first off, to do this in healthcare? Is that because of the nature of healthcare, how complicated it is, or is that because, as everyone says, healthcare organizations are 10, 15, pick your number, 20 years behind in terms of IT adoption compared to other industries. So uh, just your thoughts on is this especially difficult for health systems and why? So I think it's, it's a combination of both, to be honest. Uh, one, it is definitely the case that uh, health, uh, health providers have been optimizing for caring for the patient, which they should do, and that's what they do, and they do it really well. Uh, right. which means that all of their processes are optimized and all of their infrastructure are optimized for that task. 
But what's happening now is the expect- since the expectation is shifting, part of caring for the patient is also the, the software and all of the digital experience that the patient is expecting. But that's not something that historically providers have invested in. So it's going to require them to do a, a bit of a mentality shift to start thinking of themselves more as also providers of solutions and software to help with that engagement. And that's going to take some time, but I think, I think because the main care of providers is to care for patients, that's a big motivator for them to shift to this mentality. So the mentality shift has to happen first. Uh, I think that's happening, uh, right? I think we think that's happening certainly in all the conferences we go to, all the things we read and hear. Uh, show that this should be pervasive in terms of a mindset. So uh, they want to get there. They haven't done that kind of work before. So what does it take, in your opinion, what's some advice in getting, in getting there and operationalizing that goal? So, and, and I think that's the crux, uh, crux of it. So what needs to happen is there should be a shift to starting for the companies to start to sorry for the providers to think of themselves as uh, software companies and not just healthcare companies, uh, and that mm-hmm. could be by them them uh, spinning up um, software uh, divisions uh, and starting to integrate some of that into their DNA. The other option is to partner with companies that are, that can be synergetic and can help them provide them with these capabilities. Uh, both of them are really solid options. I think it depends on how much uh, both, both how the budget is and what, what kind of uh, mentality the provider wants, because each one of those obviously have pros and cons on the long term. Right. And engagement is not engagement per se, right? I mean, there's, there's, there's different types of patients. Uh, there's the chronically ill patient, which I would imagine, who I would imagine is easier to engage with. They need the tools. Uh, But health systems also want to keep healthy people that way. And that's more difficult, right, to get a younger, healthy person to even buy insurance, let alone uh, engage continually with a health system that's trying to promote healthy behaviors. Um, So are there different strategies? Do you need different strategies and tools to engage with different groups of people depending on their health status? Definitely, and definitely, and this is where, for example, for us, when we're building software, this is typically when we think about the persona. If you think about the persona of the chronically ill, they have different needs, and the solution is tailored for different needs for them to engage them, versus the persona of someone who doesn't require constant attention or constant motivation. They basically just have certain needs, and that persona can differ a lot based on, the, some, for example, someone might have a goal for losing, hitting a certain weight. Someone else would be, for example, exercising more. Those are different personas that as part of this shift, uh, uh, providers should start thinking about what added services do uh, these personas need. Uh, But we think they are the best best equipped at doing that because they are in contact with um, that population. They know their needs. They know what they want. So they are probably really well, uh, really equipped at identifying those needs and building solutions or partnering with people to deliver those solutions. So technology people uh, are very comfortable with the concept of use cases. Do you think that's a good parallel to what you're talking about, developing different, you call them personas, someone might call them 
use cases or profiles for different types and then working down that way, developing programs that way? Exactly, and, and, and you've, uh, you've said it perfectly. Basically, what you want to start with is ignore all the technology, ignore everything. What do you want to optimize for? What kind of experience do you want to deliver? What problems are you tackling? And then start thinking of how do I move the systems in my, uh, in my IT portfolio or, or what, do, what gaps do I have to be able to offer that service? Right, and then so you work backwards from the ideal uh, delivery, the ideal program that you want to deliver to these patients, and then you work backwards to the application layer or, or the app that they're going to be uh, leveraging it through, and then you have to work back from there to what data, in order to provide the app we want that does the things we want, what data has to feed into it, and then you work back that way into the enterprise and figure out how to get those integration points done? Exactly. So that's, uh, that can be some heavy-duty work, and we'll get into that a little bit. Um, CIOs are, you know, it's been the mantra for at least the last five years. CIOs, uh, they don't want to be thought of as technology people. They want to be thought of as strategic partners to the business. Um, how can they do that in this area? They're not clinicians. They're not the ones that are going to define clinically what a patient should receive when they leave the hospital or what kind of interactions they should receive. So how can a CIO... Uh, or how should they lead in this area without overstepping their bounds? I mean, what 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 are they sitting there when they're sitting with the C-suite? What should they be talking about to try and move the business forward? So, so this is this is where. Uh, this mentality of thinking of the persona and use cases is really really shines. But the CIOs are basically the glue that holds the technology and the business together. The way we see it, the CIOs should be sitting there focusing on the business problem and thinking for this specific case, for example, we can say, okay, how do I make sure that I can engage and how can I make sure that I have a population health management system that can take care of all of the needs of my uh, of my uh, patients or population. And part of that is engaging the other C-suites and asking them, each one, what are the key needs or what gaps and capabilities they would like to enable? And I'm sure every C-suite executive will have a different perspective on what, how they want to do this. And then the CIO's role is to take a step back and figure out, like, okay, what technology strategy would help stitch that together? It doesn't mean building it uh, per se, it might be aggregating it and integrating it, but that key, those key questions of asking what they are and then trying to map it to the technology is what will make CIOs shine. I like that. I like that. I think that's sort of very well put. Um, and those C-suite members are obviously, so the one closest to the, the pure clinical stuff is going to be the, C, the chief medical officer, the chief, chief nursing officer, right? They're the pure clinical folks. And then as we sort of move it, it's like a, a gradual spectrum, right? As we move towards technology, we have the CNIO and the CMIO, right? And they're supposed to be that real bridge uh, between the CMO and the CIO. So you have that spectrum. And so what I think what you're saying is that the CIOs have to go down the spectrum, talk to both their clinical uh, technology folks, as I mentioned, and even the CMO, and find out what are you trying to achieve clinically, and then, oh, 
here are some ways to go about it. It's not always the way that they think, right? It's not. And then good CIOs I've often heard don't just take the tool that's brought to them or the, the suggestion that's brought to them. They say, well, hold on. Tell me what you're trying to achieve. What's your end point? Because me as the CIO, I might be able to come up with something even better or a cheaper way or a smarter way. Not that they would say that, but the concept is tell me what you're trying to do. Then let me be the technology person that helps you figure out the best way to do it. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. And the reason why CIOs would be really good in that position is because their experience throughout their life has equipped them with the tools to assess how to solve that problem using technology. And they know which technology would be the best used and be the best leverage for that. So they're the best equipped at being able to do exactly what you just mentioned. Yeah. And, and I guess, would you say that... Uh... The, another way to lead for CIOs in this area is if those, I can't imagine they wouldn't be, but if some of those conversations aren't happening, they can proactively drive a conversation, uh, assuming, based on the trends we all know, that, that the enterprise must better engage with patients. They can proactively drive that conversation in the C-suite and try and get those requirements and initiate things. Does that, does that work too? That's, uh, uh, I think, if anything, this is, it has to be from the CIO because if well, the shifts we just talked about are technology-based shifts. There's things that are happening from that are technology-enabled. For example, mobile-first design. Um, and now consumers are engaging with their mobile phone way more than desktop. These are driven from there. So the CIO is the best equipped at surfacing these changes and asking, okay, given this new norm, how, does, how can we better care for patients? What do we need to change to capitalize on these shifts in technology so that we can tackle all of the problems that the rest of the C-suite, or not just problems, but new opportunities that this might uh, open up? Absolutely. So they, they, they need to drive that uh, because you, you, otherwise you'll have a CEO down the road who says, you didn't bring anything to me. Right? You didn't bring, you should have brought this to us and instead of sitting there and waiting. Like it's not our responsibility to come up with these uh, concepts. You should be bringing these and pushing them if you believe in them and then we'll evaluate. So that's truly leadership is not waiting to be asked, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, 100%. All right. Okay, very good. Um, so we mentioned. Uh, the idea of working backwards from the application and the different data streams, uh, there's a lot of interoperability issues that come up when you're trying to build a patient engagement strategy. Uh, there's different types of data that you're going to want to sort of bubble through to whatever app is patient-facing. Um, and you can take me through the other types, but we've got EMR data, uh, social determinant data, which encompasses a lot of different things, some of that's more difficult than others to sort of get into the feed. Um, do we think of apps like yours as the aggregation layer of a lot of different data feeds? And if so, what does that mean for integration and interoperability in order for the CIO to make all this stuff happen? Yeah, so, so if we think about, so maybe it might it takes, uh, it makes sense to just take a step back and walk through some, some of the changes 
that uh, consumers might be expecting, and then maybe from there we can walk into the, the systems. Um, yep. so for example, if you think about the new shifts, if I am a patient, I want to have more visibility over uh, my appointments. I want to be able to manage my appointment probably from a phone app. I want to be able to have good transparency into the cost structures. I want to be able, for example, if I want to book an appointment, uh, uh, after the appointment, I can click on a button and then call a uh, ride-sharing uh, service to basically take me to that location. And that interoperability between these systems, not just the systems that exist inside of the uh, provider uh, network, but here it, it goes beyond that. So you're not just talking about EMRs and materials management systems and and ADT feeds, you're now talking about integrating with third-party APIs. For example, if you're doing ride-sharing integration, you need to work with a, with a company that helps integrate that with your system. There's a lot of these systems that are both internal and external that you need to integrate. So with that comes a new challenge, which is before you had common protocols for uh, c combining these systems. For example, if you're just combining systems internally, you can use HL7, connect your EMR to your materials management system, potentially do some transformation layer, layer there. That's, that's, it's still hard, but it's easier than the new reality, which is you're going to have to interact with an API for an external vendor that doesn't have a spec similar to what you were used to. So that means, one, do you have an API strategy internally? How do you uh, integrate? And then that also opens up the avenue of security, data governance, and how, how all of this fits into that story. So CIOs now have to expand their skill set to, to start thinking about all of these components for interoperability. Excellent, excellent. Data governance. Uh, you are a data scientist, uh, so I'm sure you have some thoughts on data governance. I would imagine that's a huge part. Uh, well, I know it's a huge part of what CIOs uh, need to work on. What are your thoughts around um, how to do data governance right in order to help get to the endpoint of patient engagement? So, so data scientists, basically providers are usually swimming in data. The challenge is that data is not information. Uh, data in its raw format is just data. Data scientists can come in and they can help transform that data into actionable insight. Uh, and that's across all domains, but it's so important for providers because of how much data they have and how much access. Now, the challenge with this is the effectiveness of data scientists is only as good as how reliable and how uh, high quality the data is. Now, on top of that, data scientists, they want to make sure that the data they're using is sanitized and that they only have access to the minimum data they need. You don't want to expand, to expose too much data uh, to data scientists if they don't need that level of information to be able to do their job. And all of that fits under the umbrella of data governance. Uh, and for that to happen, uh, anyone undertaking a project uh, like this, increase engagement, and to start diving into the data, have to have a good data governance, both to protect the security of patients, but at the same time to make sure that that data can be, with high fidelity, transformed into actionable insight that will drive that impact that the provider is asking for. And in order to create that good data and to do data governance right, that's really a human-to-human -human job, right? I mean, that's meetings, committees, sitting down, the hard work of compromise. Uh, I did an interview recently where the, the idea, the, one of the statements was, you can't buy a tool that will give you clean data, right? 
I mean, tools can aggregate data. As you said, data scientists can work with, with good data, but it's about getting the good data. So any thoughts on that human-to-human -human hard work of creating good data? That's, that's such a key point because uh, basically what you want is you want, especially with providers, usually this data is siloed in multiple locations. And each location has probably a subject matter expert who really understands that data. So for anyone to be able to leverage that data for the challenge they're solving, have to be able to really understand the data at a deep level. And part of that is talking to the SME on the opposite end uh, or someone who's in that department and working closely with them to translate that data and understand one, how was the data collected? How is it stored? Is there any distortions, any errors in it before they even start consuming it? Right, it really, and it really starts with the data entry, right? I mean, who's putting the data in and are they adhering to the proper protocols? Um, so what are your thoughts around that, making sure the data is going in right? Yeah, so, so I think, and this is where uh, whoever is entering the data has to understand the implications of entering the data uh, in a proper way, but also, and, and usually what we see is when, when those people are incentivized and they understand the impact of what data can do, that increases the compliance. Uh, for example, if you have a nurse uh, and they're entering the data into the system, if they understand that that data can actually help drive impact for this patient later on, they're going to put a lot of care in entering it, and you're going to ensure that your data is, has very high quality versus if someone just has a task of entering the data with, and disconnected completely from what will that data do and why is it used to. So they're going to be very, they're not going to have any emotional attachment to actually doing that job and entering it uh, because they think like there's no value or incentive from that. Excellent, excellent. Let's talk a little bit about security. Um, you know, we, we mentioned all the C-suite folks except the CISO was a very important person in healthcare. Um, your thoughts around ensuring uh, proper security when you're doing this type of work, um, as you mentioned, going beyond the four walls of the hospital, uh, it can be scary out there. There's, there's no perimeter in healthcare, right? They say anymore as, as the ecosystem expands and expands and expands. Uh, your thoughts around security? Yes. So, so right now, with the benefit of being able to collect so much data, and the benefits of storage becoming so cheap is you can collect a lot of information and a lot of data that could help you drive impact and help patients. That is also a double-edged sword because now you're sitting on a lot of data, which means your responsibility now is high to ensure that whoever entrusted you with that data, that you're doing the best job possible to protect it. And there's, there are a ton of best practices, but for us, one of the key ones is, one, make sure that the data is centralized and not fragmented. For example, you shouldn't allow people to pull data and put it on their personal machines. You should have centralized uh, data, control who has access to that centralized data, and wherever you, you, you can, you sanitize the data, so you uh, anonymize it, so you cannot trace back that data, even if even if that data is used in production settings, but if there's no need for it to be identifiable, it should be scrubbed, and then reduce the uh, access as much as possible to the minimum number of people who can use this. Um, by doing these simple things, it, it severely reduces the surface attack that's possible and just makes it a 
more complex to compromise that data. I just want to clarify one thing. You made you mentioned data segmentation. I think you referenced it as a bad thing, but but um, data segmentation can also be a good thing as a, a, a technique security people use. Correct? Uh, or network segmentation. Yeah, network, network segmentation. segmentation right? Yeah, so yeah. definitely. So, so networks. So, so I think there's there's two things. One is um, there's one where you can protect the network so that each area cannot talk to the other one if it doesn't need it. Right. But there's also right. this, uh, this this data segmentation where if you let your data move around a lot of systems uh, without that need for the data for it to be across these multiple systems, you're basically adding more uh, surface attack. Uh, more uh, right. surface to the attack vector. So basically that could be problematic. So you want to minimize where that data exists as much as possible so that you reduce the number of places where that data could be compromised. Very good, very good. So I would imagine you, you work with a number of, of health systems. Um, what are some characteristics of health systems that you have engaged with or seen that do this well? Is there some common characteristic or some common approach that just sticks out to you that is almost the key for being successful in the patient engagement area? So typically, the, the, the ones we've worked with who have really been uh, excellent in this area have done two things really well. One, it's they start from first principles, which is we sit down and we assume that all previous considerations or assumptions are obsolete and start fresh and say, okay, how do we deliver the best care for patients? And what are the outcomes we want to target? Regardless of the existing system, what it does, regardless of the current composition of your IT infrastructure, how do we do that? Once we establish those key first principles we want to tackle, the second thing they do really well is they're open for interoperability and integration. That every system where we need data or someone needs data to be able to accomplish that uh, task, you get access to it, and they prioritize access and integration. Because without that, it's going to be very hard to drive to the type of outcomes and engagement that we're trying to push for. What would be a reason that they wouldn't either wouldn't want to or wouldn't be able to give you that access? I mean, is it sometimes impossible because of the vendor, or is it sometimes the health system just cannot move forward with that because of internal quagmires? It's, it's a bit of both. One is typically some vendors have just not caught up with this. So, for example, they might not have an API integration technique, so they're still developing one. So that system would not have a way to ingest data or produce data. Uh, what we've seen typically is uh, uh, a system that we worked with are really good in putting pressure on those vendors and saying, like, hey, this is what we need to do. This is the future. We need you to, as a vendor and trusted partner, to expose these capabilities for us. Uh, the second one is more of uh, IT infrastructure, which is simply the IT infrastructure is not set up to enable interoperability between multiple systems in that location. And, and it's not that it's not just set up, it's also from a resource constraint perspective where they want to, it's just that it, there's so many other projects ahead that this just gets deprioritized sometimes, uh, which also, which obviously it's a, a disservice to the actual outcome and driving to it as soon as possible. So not asking you to name any names, uh, data blocking is a term that we've heard a lot. Uh, some people, so I've had really, really smart, well-connected people tell me it absolutely happens, 
And I've had really, really smart, well-connected people tell me it doesn't happen. Uh, what's your opinion on whether or not data blocking is a reality out there? To be honest, we haven't seen it yet, uh, but I think it really depends on what, what, what each vendor is trying to accomplish and do and how aligned are all the incentives. Uh, us, personally, we have not experienced it yet. Okay, very good. So you mentioned the, the positive characteristics of folks that are successful. When you see people struggling, is there, other than, you know, you, of course, what you said are the positive characteristics, we could say not doing them is a negative characteristic. But in addition to those points, is there anything that pops to mind that you maybe have seen a couple of times and you say, this is a common problem. When you are struggling in this area, this is why. Anything in addition to the, the things you mentioned? It's, to be honest, it's probably those two are the biggest yeah. ones. Um, uh, other than that, so far, like to be honest, we've had positive experiences. And it's part of this is because when you work in, a, in the healthcare space, it's people are, have good incentives. So when they understand the value that's being uh, delivered with this, it's, it's a bit easier. So I, I would say we've been lucky with that so far. Very good. All right. Um, any challenge you would give to those listening to go back to their shops and do after they listen to this interview, that will help them move forward in a patient engagement area. So, you know, go back, just do this one thing, and this will help you move forward. Uh, you know, low-hanging fruit is a term, but something they can go back and do that will help them. I would say it's going back and really thinking about your API strategy as an as a, um, institution or as an as a organization and think about how do you unlock the capabilities that come from having APIs in your infrastructure. Uh, and the reason why this is important is because once you, ex once you expose data in a secure way through APIs internally, you basically are one step closer to unleashing innovation that you can't think of yet now. Because the moment you make that data possible, all types of interoperability can happen, and you're going to see that a new ecosystem is going to grow internally in your organization that's going to solve problems that you probably haven't thought of even yet. But basically, with that minimal step, you've basically unlocked that potential. Well, Mohammed, that's absolutely fantastic. Do you have any any final thoughts uh, for the listeners before we before I let you go today? I would say my final thought is uh, is just around. Uh, a, there was an interesting op-ed that said uh, software is eating the world, and I'm, we're seeing that more and more real for the healthcare space. So. As part of every organization thinking about what do they want to do and what do they want to become over the next couple of years, it's being, either being a software company or being an, a good integrator of good solution, as well as caring for patients, is going to be important because the former is inevitable to be able to do the latter well. Well, that's excellent, Mohammed. Thank you again for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for listening to this Partner Perspective interview from Health System CIO. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our iTunes feed at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcasts.